This is The Blood Doctor Show. And we are here extremely late on the 22nd as I record this 11.56pm. So basically starting this as late on the 22nd as humanly possible on the first day of NBA season. This would almost be a next day podcast, but I've started recording early enough for it to be considered this day. And what a first day it was. An incredibly interesting first day. First thing, number one, not sports, but some of you know I used to do stand-up comedy. Huge comedy fan. John Mulaney has checked himself into rehab. I love this dude. I love his comedy. From all reports and everything, a good person, aside from apparently some, you know, personal substance abuse issues. So, peace to John Mulaney. I hope the best for this man. I want you to get better. You know, I hope all the best. Do what you can to rehab. And I truly cannot wait for the post-rehab special. Because let's be honest, the minute he gets clean, you know he's going to have jokes. And I want to hear them. So, good luck to my man John Mulaney. But let's talk basketball. It was the debut day for regular season NBA basketball. Couple of, you know, interesting game. Nets, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers. Only one of them actually ended up being a good game. The Nets-Warriors game, not a good game in any way, but still provided interesting insights into what we're probably going to see. Lakers-Clippers game, actually a good game. And then somewhat a question of what insight it provided. I may differ from other people on that. I think it provided more insight than other people might think. Nonetheless, it's exciting to be back in the NBA season. I just want to say, like, I'm excited to be here again. Like, you know, last season ended very recently. And, you know, there's been turmoil. And this year has been insanity. But it's very cool to be back in the NBA season. And I'm excited to be talking, you know, NBA Again, and I will say, I think I'm likely to stick to this format because right now, recording after the games, um, you know, I watched the games, took notes, had time to digest, thought about it, and I think this is really, you know, the premier format for what I want to do. Could be some changes, you know, we want to talk about gambling and all these things, but hey, I definitely love reviewing games. I definitely love previewing games. Who knows how it'll all go. But I have so much to talk about right now, and so I just want to dive in and do that. Let's just start with the two games that we just watched. That, well, I say we. I think if you're listening to me, you may not have watched it because you may be a friend or close relative of mine that I am essentially forcing to listen to this. But... If you are not one of those people, then you are likely someone who just loves basketball, because I don't know why the hell else should be listening to this. So, let's talk about the two games that occurred today. Interesting things. James Wiseman getting the start for the Warriors. 
Everyone has documented this. It's all been talked about, but, you know, went from high school to barely playing in college because of a stupid NCAA bullshit rules violation that made no sense. Fuck the NCAA. That is the stance of the Blunt Doctor Show. Fuck the NCAA. Only played a couple of games in college. Then, of course, because of COVID, no summer league. Minimal training camp. Didn't play in preseason. They threw him out there. He started. And truthfully, he had a good game. He didn't, you know, he didn't excel in any way. It wasn't, you know, he didn't score 30 or grab 15 rebounds and block 10 shots. You know, it wasn't one of those games. But no one could have reasonably expected that given all the time that he missed. And given, you know, everything that he should have had in terms of off-season preparation, summer league, you know, more in-depth training camp, more preseason. You know, there's no way, even LeBron, when LeBron was a rookie, you know, his team won many more games because of him, and he was, in you know, an incredible rookie. But it's not as if rookies come in and from day one, they're the best player and do everything you know, from a top shelf level. Oh, this guy, he blocks every shot and he dunks every ball and he makes it, you know, that's not what rookies do. They have to be refined. And even, you know, the LeBrons and the Kevin Durant's and the, you know, even the best guys have to grow. So I see some people on Twitter talking about James Wiseman and one person, I don't remember who it was. I'm not going to, I, do, I truly don't remember who it was, so I'm not going to name the name. But the point is, the question was, is James Wiseman's best skill being tall? And I just think that's a ludicrous thing. I just think that's ludicrous. I think that's a ludicrous thing to say. Yes, he's tall. Great. But in this game, he threw down a couple of nice dunks. He grabbed a couple of rebounds. He finished a couple of plays in the pick and roll. Everything didn't go his way. He didn't really shoot well from outside. But his mechanic shooting from the outside, you can see it's there. You can sit there and say, oh, what was the, oh, he was, you know, one of six, one of five, whatever. You know, ignoring the actual stats, you can sit there and his actual stats. You can look at any person's stats and say, oh, they were X of X from, or X of Y from range. And then you make a judgment on that. And that's not really what it is. My point here, as I ramble through it, we know the sobriety rules on the on the Blunt Doctor show, but the point is, as I ramble through, you may not shoot necessarily well in a game. Who cares? Are the mechanics there? Yes. He has the ability to shoot the ball. And when he steps back to do that, you can see it. His form is there. He's got nice arc. You know, I'm a huge Suns fan. You watch DeAndre Ayton shoot the ball, and you're like, man, I wish there was a little more arc on that shot. You watch James Wiseman shoot it, there's plenty of arc. His release is slow. Like, painfully slow. But a lot of that comes from confidence. If he was more confident in himself shooting the ball, that release would be better. It's 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 honestly not even necessarily his release, more about his 
getting his gather and getting into the shot. So I really I can see it. And honestly, if I watch this game as the Rockets, I'm fine with Wiseman being the center of, you know, that hardened trade package, the thing I've been sitting here and I won't shut up about. I don't think this game damaged that trade package in any way, except for the fact that Wiggins was terrible. Whatever picks or pick swaps needed to be included in order to placate the Rockets in terms of, you know, dealing with Wiggins' contract as being the primary money swap for Harden, <laughs> they're going to want at least one more after this game because Wiggins was terrible. Oubre, you know, eh. but uh, just to finish on Wiseman, you know, for so long, we were kind of like, oh, you know, the big man is dead. Just get Draymond Green. And then it was like, oh, well, you can't just get Draymond Green. And then it was like, oh, well, big men only have this value and you should still get just, uh, you know, the whole hired gun big man. Just, you know, you sign the best big man you can for the minimum or an exception. And you just ignore the idea of spending a high pick or a lot of money on a big man. You know, all these things. Look at what's going on in the NBA right now. It's not that way. There's so many talented bigs. So I've been, you know, I on my previous podcast earlier in the summer, The Blunt Doctor Show, available on YouTube, what it was, I asked the question, would the big man matter more, or would teams like the Rockets and Celtics sort of be able to buck the trend? Because that was kind of the question, right? The Rockets win all small ball. The Celtics basically only had Tice. Could you win a championship at this point without any premium player at center? And I think that the thing is, what we miss about the Warriors in their you know various great seasons is Draymond is, was, at the very least was a premium player at center. You know, like, oh, he played all these guys off the floor, so you can't play bigs anymore. Well, that's because of how good Draymond was, not how good every 6'6 guy playing center was. If every guy that size was that good, then Harrell would have dominated Jokic, but it went the other way. So all of this stuff is sort of a referendum on people who have trashed Draymond. And if nothing else, all of this proves how good Draymond Green was as the center in those, as Zach Lowe called it, the death lineup for the Warriors. Because Draymond Green was so good at center that he ran every traditional center off the floor until the Raptors finals when Marcus Gasol neutralized Draymond and with the Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson injuries, the Warriors couldn't overcome they didn't have depth. The Raptors had better depth. It's just an interesting thing. But nonetheless, what I see in the re-rise of the big man after the supposed death of the big man, and we've all debated and talked this thing to death. Again, I did it. I did a whole episode on this in the in the last incantation of this podcast. This will be the final version. This one's going to last forever. No more versions. Anyway. I don't even know if incantation was the right word. That's how much I've had. The point is, 
the death of the big man was clearly overstated. And we're seeing the rise of these, you know, new age big men. We can point out that the slow plotting, unathletic big guys, they're gone. I understand that. You know, what a classic center may have been in terms of, you know, guys who were just big but had, you know, Al Jefferson. I, and here's the thing, I'm not trying to trash Al Jefferson. If you never got to watch Al Jefferson, go do it. I got to see Al Jefferson play live one time, and it was awesome. The man was incredible in the post. He just could get buckets on anybody in the post. It was awesome to watch, but... He didn't have, you know, the athleticism, the, you know, the side-to-side movement, the lateral quickness to compete with the modern NBA center that was sort of coming up. And that's really what the difference is now. It's not that the big man is gone. It's just that the big man is different. You know, Anthony Davis, with 90s rules where you really could bang and body guys and, you know, muscle them out. I don't know how well he would have done in the 90s NBA. He's an incredible talent, but he's also, you know, he doesn't weigh what some of those slower plotting guys did. And when spacing was less at a premium because you could really body guys and hand check them, I don't know how he would have did. Now, to be fair, no one could shoot like these guys could back then. So I understand all of the arguments about, you know, cross-era basketball, but it's not so much about the death of the big men as it is the evolution of the big men. And Draymond Green was just the first step in that. But it was never going to be exactly the same. You know, there's always going to be a next step. And at this point, the next step is Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic, right? If we look at two guys who just play the game in a way that most big men can't. It's those two. And for different reasons. They don't play in exactly the same way. They don't play even really a similar game. But the point is that truly no one can do what those guys do. Now, in a head-to-head format, Anthony Davis has pretty much dominated Jokic. It's not that Jokic can't make life difficult for Davis, but Davis can basically make life impossible for Jokic. I mentioned Rudy Gobert and his extension recently, and we talked about, I talked about, I always say we. There's no we. No one's responding. One day, the show will be popular enough that there will be a we, because you will be yelling back at me. But the discussion on Gobert is, is he worth the contract? He's absolutely worth the contract in terms of just the Jazz need to keep him. The question is, is it worth it to have two max players when you don't win a title? And in the modern NBA, the max contract is is an artificially inflated contract for a lot of players or artificially deflated for stars. In the case of the Jazz two players, it's inflated. So it's worth it if you win a title, and maybe not if you don't. But there's no argument that the Jazz should have done it. So 
Big men are valuable. And I can see a positive future for Wiseman. And I can see why the Rockets would acquire him even with Christian Wood in the fold. Continue on the on the Warriors as I got way off track. Who the hell cares? I can do what I want. Kelly Oubre. You know, he did Kelly Oubre stuff. He stood around for a bit. He threw down an absolutely vicious put-back dunk. He missed some shots he probably should have made. Stole a ball, dunked it again. I mean, I think, you know, Kelly Oubre is a great transition player for whoever he plays for. But he's going to need to bag corner triples to be a truly effective player for the Warriors. Because throwing down dunks sometimes, you know, it doesn't, it's not effective enough. Especially with the Warriors shorthanded. If Klay Thompson was out there, and Draymond was out there, and Wiseman was more developed, then Kelly going out and just being an energy guy and throwing down dunks and all that stuff, it would be fine. Truly. He wouldn't need to do more than that. But in this scenario where there are injuries and Wiseman is up and coming and, you know, the the Warriors are still figuring things out and Kelly Oubre is basically a big part of everything, he needs to play better. And he simply didn't. The one good thing for Oubre, he didn't play as bad as Wiggins. Like, they weren't even guarding Wiggins. Like, they were not even guarding Andrew Wiggins. Like, when he went in the corner to shoot a triple... They were legit not even guarding him. And he was still missing. Like, I don't even... What do you do with that? I have no clue. I truly have no clue. I defended Andrew Wiggins for so long. And I and I sat here and I said, oh, he's this and that. And, you know, I was on Twitter essentially just... He's better than this. He's this, that, and the other. Andrew Wiggins. But and just... <laughs> It's just not there. And we all know it. And again, the only reason I mention him in the Harden trade is for salary matching purposes. And the Rockets would definitely get paid assets to take him on. Oubre and Wiggins weren't that good. Curry? Looked like Curry. Hit some cool triples. Got to the rack a couple times. Dished a couple of nice passes. He's Steph. Steph is Steph. And the Warriors simply don't have enough around him. And if I'm Steph, I'm getting on that phone and I'm saying, hey, let's get to James Harden. And I know everyone thinks I'm crazy. I'm not. Turning to the net side of the game, I've been critical of Kyrie Irving recently on this brand new podcast. I was like, Kyrie, blah, blah, tetra. This man is balling. Okay? When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I said that the Nets were going to have trouble, and maybe they will. But credit where credit is due on the first game of the season, Kyrie is balling. He hit ridiculous shots. He put people in the spin cycle, as he is known to do. And he played in a way that was conducive to the team winning because he just hit everything. Now, I don't know how that all will go all season, because I do think a lot of what happened tonight between the Nets and the Warriors was... The Warriors being terrible. It was the Nets being good? Absolutely. The Nets hit like every open shot. They got every open shot. They made the extra pass. KD looks like KD. Kevin Durant is throwing down vicious dunks. 
bagging triples, being the velvet hoop. I've made fun of Kevin Durant to all my friends for that whole velvet hoop commercial and that whole nickname. Let me tell you something. The way that Kevin Durant played, the way that he was just bagging every shot he took, we might just need to call him Velvet Hoop out of respect. Slim Reaper is a much better nickname and it always will be. And he should have embraced the Slim Reaper nickname. But since he didn't, we might just need to call him Velvet Hoop because this man is balling. And so is Kyrie. We might need to, we might need to go with Sage and Velvet. Okay. I'm calling Kevin and Kyrie Sage and Velvet from now on because, you know, these two dudes are smoky and smooth. Sage and Velvet are smoky and smooth. That's Kevin and Kyrie. They just, I guess Kyrie and Kevin because Sage is Kyrie smooth. You know what I'm saying. Anyway. Sage and Velvet, Silky and Smooth, whatever these various things I'm saying, cool stuff. The Nets look good. I mean, Joe Harris hit a couple of shots. Karis LeVert had 20. I mean, I, the Nets are deep. The defensive problems are still real. They're going to come up more in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, even DeAndre had a... I, I mean, they killed the Warriors. It's it's not even, like, I can't even, I don't even want to sit here, like, analyze. Like, they did everything. Like, they're literally, it looked like a scrimmage against high schoolers. They're, like, whipping the ball around the perimeter, stealing everything, throwing down dunks. It was embarrassing. The Nets whooped ass. And I have been critical of what the Nets could be because I worry about their defense and things like that. But if you were to simply watch this game, you wouldn't feel that way at all. So, you know, the Nets bench shot it well. They can play defense. The Warriors bench. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a long season for the Warriors unless they make the James Harden trade. I'm going to put it that way. The Lakers-Clippers game. Let me, put it, let me say this, by the way. I said the Nets and Clippers would win. Nets and Clippers win. Go me. It was from the beginning, though. There were a lot of possessions where the Lakers looked like they just didn't care. (laughs) And not necessarily that they don't care about basketball, but they got their rings. You know, it's game one. They haven't had a long preseason. They had, like, you know, the shortest offseason of anyone. You know, it wasn't really a big deal to them. If they didn't beat the Clippers. And I think that everyone sort of expected and knew that would be the case. But. As the game went on. In, especially with. The non LeBron and AT, AD guys. The intensity grew. Um, and I think it was a, still a good win for the Clippers. A um, couple of things on the Lakers season. I've been critical of the West Matthews signing. I still feel that way. I think Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be a more important player for the Lakers this season than Wes Matthews is. Um, we'll see how that plays out, but I just I'm not a big I'm not a big Wes Matthews guy. I don't I don't think that I don't think it's going to work too well. Um, AD is absolutely unstoppable when he wants to be. I think he could have forced the issue even more in this game and um, could have had a different outcome. But it's very clear that. When he wants to get to the rack, nobody will stop him. And, you know, I don't think that 
you know, again, I don't think that they necessarily cared about this game. So I don't think he was so concerned about the outcome because he proved to himself he could do exactly what he wanted to do, no matter really who the Clippers had on the floor. Although Ibaka did make it more difficult. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Schroeder and Harrell had nice games, but. And again, I know the Clippers won the first game last season, so you can throw this out. But I do also think that it's a little telling that Schroeder and Harrell had really nice statistical games and the Lakers lost because LeBron and AD weren't playing at the end. And Harrell did some really nice stuff, but if the end goal... the I can understand the concept where, okay, we're going to have Harrell play center. And we're going to have LeBron and AD play a little more outside because they're better outside shooters than people think. And, you know, I can understand that a little bit, but aren't you then taking your two best players away from their sort of most optimal zones? And if you're doing that, where is Gasol? And on that note, where was Gasol tonight? And the answer was nowhere. He had no effect. And it's just one game, but Everyone in the NBA, from media to fans to, you know, Twitter people, whatever, who it is, everyone has said the Lakers got better this offseason except me. I don't understand the fit of some of the guys they signed. And I think tonight showed that a little bit. I do think that Schroeder showed... Dennis is a little bit of Rondo and a little bit of Danny Green in one. And I think that he's got kind of both of their, you know, he's kind of got Danny Green shooting, but he's got a little bit more of Rondo's passing and ball handling. So I can understand that acquisition. And, you know, truthfully, he played a pretty good game. But again, you've got to look at the totality of everything, and we'll just have to see. It's only one game. It's game one. LeBron and AD didn't play late. There's there's so many things there. But I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, the Lakers are going to go 65-7, and and you know, it's not going to be that. It's going to take time for them to figure it all out. You know, Caruso didn't really play well. Again, one game. Kuzma, eh, didn't do much. Again, one game. The Lakers, you know, you come in, you get your rings. They had the whole, they had the families come in and and they did the video recordings with, you know, the family members and some of them and, you know, having them present the rings and things like that. And it's just, you know, it's an opening night thing. The Patriots, after the 28-3 Falcons Super Bowl comeback, you know, they did a whole speech ceremony and all this nonsense, and the Chiefs blasted them. It just happens. Sometimes you're too enjo- you're too much into last season, and it's hard to play opening night. And I just, I don't take a ton of stock in, in this for the Lakers in terms of struggling. What I take it to mean is it's going to be a little tougher for them to gel than I thought. And the Clippers had a little bit of better chemistry than I thought. They looked great in the first quarter. And then the second quarter rolls around and they look like a disaster. 
and they score, I don't know, negative nine points or whatever, you know, they scored in the second quarter. It was a total joke. Nothing worked in the second quarter for the Clippers. They had like a 22-point lead, and the Lakers basically erased it. It was a two-point game or a one-point game at halftime. And then the third quarter rolled around. And Kawhi didn't have a phenomenal game. He bricked a lot of shots, but he still scored some timely buckets. The Clippers didn't make a ton of huge triples. But two things I like. Number one, the Ibaka signing, I love it. Because it's not like he can stop Anthony Davis. No one can. But his length is at least enough to contest all of the shots Anthony Davis would take. And his shooting from outside is enough to drag Anthony Davis away from the bucket. Now, if you're trying to have Harold guard Ibaka, Ibaka can shoot over him. If you want to try to have Gasol guard Ibaka, well, Ibaka can go by Gasol. So, that is a matchup that really favors the Lakers. Excuse me, favors the Clippers. The stuff again. But, the weed again. Why am I saying stuff? What am I on, an NBC sitcom from 1995? It favors the Clippers. I love the Ibaka signing. And even if he doesn't, he doesn't have to grab 15 rebounds or score 30 points. He just has to make life a little more difficult for Anthony Davis. That's truly the job. And credit where credit is due. Paul fucking George. This man cooked chicken. This man cooked shrimp. This man cooked chicken and shrimp. This man cooked chicken, shrimp, and beef. He did everything. Paul George scored all the ways today. And I literally just did an episode where I sat here and said, Devin Booker's going to be better for the next five years. And I still believe that. But we've all... Paul George went on all the smoke and we gave him all the smoke after he did and he lived up to it today. The man got buckets in every way. It was an impressive fucking game from Paul George. Again, it's game one. It's game one of 72. It's not a playoff game. I understand that. But Paul has said that he intends to get back to the form he had when he was Oklahoma City in his, maybe his best season, where in his mind he was an MVP candidate. And he was a candidate. He was an MVP. He referred to himself as an MVP. But the point is, he said he was going to be better this season. We have one game of evidence, and that's true. He roasted the Lakers in every way. If he plays like that in the playoffs... This is very interesting. And one other thing that's always, you know, we talk about Montrez Harrell signed with the Lakers from the Clippers and the Baca chose the Clippers because all went to the Lakers and all these things. Let's not forget, Vita Zubats was salary dumped for Michael fucking Beasley. So there's a whole lot of cross stuff here. Lou Williams used to play for the Lakers. I mean, Ty Lue, 
play for. I mean, there's there's so much cross stuff here. So for everyone who has basically determined the possibility of a Lakers Clippers Western Conference Finals that is competitive to be dead, you're wrong. The one thing that might kill that is my sons. We might crash the party, but in a world where the Lakers and Clippers play a Western Conference Finals, that's going to be way more competitive than people think. It's going to be a significantly better series than people think. And I'm going to tell you something else. I didn't mention this, but, or I didn't mention this in my preseason rankings because I didn't think it, but after a game like this, Paul George will become a dark horse MVP candidate. People are going to talk about it. I know it's one game, but here's the thing about MVP. Regardless of what anyone thinks about stats, teams, this side or the other, it is very narrative driven because that's where the discussion begins. You have to have a good narrative in order to be in the MVP discussion. That's why I picked Luka Doncic. Luka's on a rising team. He's the clear star of that team. They are, they just came off a really good playoff performance. They're primed to step forward this year in the regular season with some more talent and proper talent around him, better fitting talent than they've had. It's a perfect narrative for MVP. And if he fits those things with his typical statistics, he'll probably win it. The Kevin Durant narrative is there too. Coming off the Achilles, absolutely crushing it, balling from everywhere. The narrative is there. And the Paul George narrative is there too. Because he was atrocious in the playoffs. Pandemic P. Everyone made fun of him. We've all made off the backboard jokes. He's been constant. And were he to play this season as he played tonight, again, it's one game, but it's also one game against the Lakers. And the Lakers have a good defense. Were he to play this season like that, he's going to be an MVP candidate. Now remember, the phrase MVP candidate means could be in the top five voting. I'm not saying he's going to win MVP. He could, but... I'm just saying he's going to be discussed there. I think people take the phrase, you know, MVP candidate to me. Oh, you think I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying this was a great game and he did a lot right in this game. And there's no way that any of this makes up for anything that the Clippers did in the bubble. But credit where credit is due. Nick Batum. I mean, he didn't really shoot well. And I do think it's pretty clear that his days as a major impact player are done. But as a ball handler, as a glue guy, as a guy who can hopefully actually make a couple of shots, doesn't seem like a horrible signing. And the other interesting thing is Luke Kennard. When Luke Kennard was traded from the Pistons to the Clippers, there was there was a lot of shock because the Clippers essentially, they traded essentially Landry Shamit for Luke Kennard. 
And there was sort of some, well, why would you do that? They're secondary players. You know, Landry Shamet came out a year later. So his contract is going to come a year later. There was a lot. And, you know, even I asked those questions. And you watch this game. And in the first half, even I was still asking the question. I tweeted it. Why did the Clippers just give Luke Kennard $64 million? We're going to talk about rookie extensions in a minute. But I, I was curious about that. And then in the second half, it becomes a lot more clear. And the primary difference between Shamit and Luke Kennard is that Luke Kennard can run a pick and roll. Say what you will about them defensively. Say what you will about them as shooters. Luke Kennard is a pick and roll guard. And he can run a pick and roll well. Is he the most efficient pick and roll finisher? You know, I'm not, obviously we're not going there. But he's got moves. And he's especially got moves in the pick and roll. Now, some of them are a little old man game. They look like, you know, like 34-year-old Dwayne Wade sort of stuff, but it works. He didn't shoot the ball well tonight at all, but he can shoot it. And that stuff is going to come around playing with your new team. So while I initially said, and we'll just, we'll transition to the rookie extensions. A lot of rookie extensions came down. Luke Kennard gets $16 million a year from the the, the Clippers four years, 64 million. Why? While I initially questioned that, I said, it seems like a lot. I don't know why you're doing that when you could have kept sham at another year. When you see the Clippers and everything breaks down. And then you see that Kennard can just run a pick and roll kind of out of nowhere. He can, when the first action doesn't work, he's able to take it take the ball and create a secondary action. And that's truly important, especially in the playoffs. And again, he didn't play a really good game today, but that ability to break down the defense after they run their primary set, that's huge when you're playing only half-court ball. And I understand what the Clippers are thinking now. And so for everyone who... You know, Marcus Gasol, Montrez Harrell, everyone loves what the Lakers did. I like Serge Ibaka and Luke Kennard more. And I'm not, again, LeBron and AD are better than Kawhi and PG. I understand that, and I'm not disputing that. So I understand that the Lakers are still favorites. But I do think this game might be a little bit more indicative of the Clippers having better depth than the Lakers do. It's not just that the Lakers didn't care. I do think there could be a little bit more to it. Maybe I'll just be wrong. But the Clippers letting Harrell go for a Baca is obviously an upgrade. And so I just don't understand how everyone loves everything the Lakers did. Everyone trashed Harrell for the Clippers, but then loves him for the Lakers. I don't understand that. It is what it is. Rookie extensions. What happened earlier, um, you know, before I talked about any of this stuff, Tatum Fox, Bam Adebayo, Donovan Mitchell, they all got maxes, all deserved. Fox maybe deserved a little less. You know, he doesn't have um, as much of the accolades of the other guys, but his, I believe, has some escalators in it, so not a big deal. And given the history of Sacramento, you obviously have to pay him that. Especially given that he truly was on the upswing with Jaeger before they 
chose to move on for some reason. Um, Sacramento, of course, is just an ever-changing group of coaches and executives. Um, but all of those were basically max extensions that no one was shocked about. I was honestly surprised about the number of extensions that came down. Um, I was recording yesterday. I finished up and then extensions started coming down. Uh, and I initially was going to go record and, you know, go over a couple of the extensions. And then I realized like, you know what? Let's think about them. Let them all come down. Um, and it was, was in, it was fast and furious. You typically don't get a rush of news like this at the rookie extension deadline, but obviously COVID and the unknown questions about, you know, the future of the salary cap and all those things, everything related to that, that is what makes it more difficult for these guys. And I think what led to maybe more deals than we might typically see, even though some guys who we thought we might see extend didn't. But in terms of deals that we saw, mentioned the Canard four years and $64 million with the Clippers. I questioned it at first. I thought it was a lot. And then when you see the Clippers just don't have point guards. And then you see a guy who can run a pick and roll and it just makes sense. And I'll say this. Hey, the Clippers are paying Luke Kennard $64 million to run a pick and roll. And uh, I think the 76ers were paying Tobias Harris like $180 million to do the same. So, uh, you know, what are you going to do? OG and Anubi. This is the one that actually like really shocked me. Four years, $72 million. Not a bad extension at all. Um, you know, given that he hasn't necessarily... I mean, he's been good at times, but it's... You know, it's not as if, you know, we had an all-star season for OG and Anubi. Uh, and not that this is necessarily all-star money. It's good money, but Heading into a season where he had an opportunity to really make a major impact and really make a name for himself. And he still has that opportunity. But he was potentially going to be a really huge part of what the Raptors are doing. And there's a bunch of money in free agency next summer. And a bunch of guys took their names out of it. AD, you know, signs a five-year deal. Paul George extends. We think that Kawhi will probably extend or opt in. Who knows? But, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of the young guys signed. There was, there's going to be money in free agency. And I, this one surprised me. I didn't really think this one was going to happen because I thought, I just thought the Raptors would have to pay more. And I'm not saying that, You know, you look at a guy like Jalen Brown. Some people said he was overpaid. And Jalen has more, you know, bona fides than OG for sure. But I'm not a thousand percent sure that everyone in the league would take Jalen on his contract over OG on his. And I'm just surprised because he was primed for the potential of a really good season. And heading into free agency off of that. But some people just prefer certainty. And I can certainly respect that. One contract that was heavily derided. Jonathan Isaac. Four years, $80 million from the Magic. I'm not a big believer in Jonathan Isaac. I never have been. Um, I'm not a huge fan of his game in general. 
I understand what other people see. I'm not as high on it. Especially given the injuries. However, if you are super high on John Isaac, which the Magic are, they're like very high on him. They were like going to max him. Like rookie scale max him. Sort of high on him. They loved him. If you're that high on John Isaac and you believe there's potential for him to get healthy and you believe that his injury history is not necessarily indicative of an injury-prone player, whether or not you're wrong or that, that's not the issue. It's whether you believe that. And if you believe those things, then getting a player that you intended to give $30 million a year to for $20 million is not bad at all. If you look at the Aaron Gordon contract and how that's worked out, it's largely been pretty good. His production matches what they pay him. And it's really possible that John Isaac does the same, and there is potential for him to greatly exceed that contract in terms of value. So I think that you really have to give it to the Magic for that one. I'm not saying I'm a huge Isaac believer, but I just think if you like a guy and you want to keep him, like, and I understand their on-court value hasn't been anywhere near the same. Their production hasn't been anywhere near the same. But the 76ers paid Joel Embiid a full max when he had not played much at all. And I understand the on-court value is different and what Embiid provided when he did play was incredible. But, you know, even Jabari Parker tried to angle for the max. And... Jabari only got $20 million for one year, but, you know, they got he, Isaac got the same money. I just think it's a win for the Magic. Because I think Isaac could have headed to free agency, and, you know, he's basically out for this year. So he probably wouldn't have gotten much in the next year. But if he had came back and had had a really good season, someone might have eventually super overpaid him, and the Magic would have... If he had been really good, they could have lost out. In this case, you're paying mid-level money for a guy who's a lottery ticket, and he doesn't have the same lottery ticket value once did, but maybe 20% of it. But there's a chance that you're paying mid-level money for a superstar player for two years. You take that gamble. I understand it more than other people maybe do. The Spurs... Signed Derek White, four years and $73 million. Um, It's fine. You know, I, other people are a little higher on it than me. Um, you know, again, it's fine. I think it's interesting that Boyan Bogdanovich got that same contract, and it was well-deserved. And there are some people who are like, oh, it's too much. You know, Derek White's more of a defensive player. Bogdanovich more offensive. I just I I think it's interesting. It's, this is a little of an overpay to me. I I don't know. I, I understand all the arguments. I just look. I'm happy to see the Spurs lock themselves into mediocrity. This contract's fine. The players fine. Just nothing special. Back to the Magic. Fultz. Markel Fultz. Three years, fifty million. 
Um, you know, again, Fultz, obviously, you know, we don't need to go into how weird his whole career has been, but if you believe in him, and again, the Magic do, you know, there's some opportunity there. I'm I'm a little surprised at the number. Um, I don't really know who is clamoring to pay Markel Fultz, Markel Fultz more than $16 million a year. Um, it's not a terrible contract or anything. Um, I am surprised Fultz got more than Kyle Kuzma. You know, Kuzma has a larger name and has a ring and has, you know, more success. I, I am, I, I am surprised about that. Um, I suppose, I suppose that Fultz has more upside than Kuzma. Yeah, I suppose that's possible, but some guys did not get extensions. Guys who we ex- may have expected to get them. Um, Zach Collins did not get an extension with the Blazers. Not shocked. He's been injured a lot. I don't know what kind of extension would have been available, but he's a guy who could play a big role for the Blazers this season, so no surprise there. Jared Allen, same thing. You know, no extension. Could play a big role. Depends on what DeAndre Jordan does. Probably didn't have the value he wanted, especially given the net salary crunch in terms of all the players they had. So no shock there that he didn't do that. John Collins, that one's somewhat shocking. Um, to some people, I didn't think it was super shocking just because I've said on this podcast, I felt like Atlanta had too many guys at the big position, and I thought that they were going to have to do something. And uh, in the words of my man Duncan Smith, this man is getting traded. It's very likely that uh, John Collins will be traded. One trade I thought of. I don't know if it matches up perfectly, but I wonder if there's a way to swap Collins to the Lakers uh, for Kyle Kuzma. Something is interesting to me. I feel like Collins, LeBron, and AD makes more sense than Harold. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Just something I thought of. Lowry Markinen, as we discussed, not playing well for the Bulls. No extension. Not shocked. I want him to get a fresh start on a new team. Um, I don't know if they'll trade him. That would be great because that would give him an opportunity to play well, you know, before free agency. But uh, if they don't trade him any, you know, I just hope he has a good season. I want him to go to a better team. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't think Lowry's future is in Chicago at all, and I don't. You know, I don't think anyone's too shocked about that. You know, he hasn't really played well. He certainly hasn't earned. You know, a big extension, and I'm sure that you know he was asking for a bigger one than the Bulls were willing to give, and it makes sense because he just hasn't. You know, he just hasn't been there. So, Lonzo Ball, no extension with the Pelicans. Some people are trying to say that, you know, these two will play nice. I really think the relationship between Clutch Sports, which is Lonzo's agent, and the Pelicans is really damaged because of the AD situation. And, you know, the way that Anthony Davis forced his way out. And I know that Rich Paul is world-renowned for his ability to 
you know, separate business between players, but I'm not sure the Pelicans are world-renowned for that. And I do wonder about the future of this one. Also, I don't really know how much Lonzo deserved an extension. So I'm surprised at some of these deals. You know, again, some guys taking money when there was going to be so much next offseason, but, you know, that's how it goes. And it may work out for a couple of them. Other NBA note, Frank Kaminsky back to the Suns. It pains me as a University of Arizona fan to have to root for Frank the Tank. But he's back on the Suns. So, go Frank the Tank, I guess. (laughs) Couple of NFL notes. I could not have possibly been more wrong on the Steelers game. (laughs) I thought the Steelers would use this game as a get-right game and bounce back and turn things around. And I literally couldn't have been more wrong. The Bengals dominated the Steelers, really. Um, I know the game ended up being fairly close on the scoreboard, but the Bengals really whooped their ass, and it was embarrassing for Steelers fans and anyone who bet on the Steelers like me. So I really thought there was some get right there, and I thought things would go well for them, and uh, they had none of it. Very sad. Very. Well, again, not sad if you hate the Steelers, which I do, but uh, sad if you bet on them. Two Patriots notes. J.C. Jackson did not make the Pro Bowl. And I should have mentioned this before, but eight interceptions and he didn't make the Pro Bowl? For a team that the only thing that was keeping them hanging on is their defense? Really? For all of Bill Belichick's flaws as a GM, especially when it comes to drafting in like the second round, especially when it comes to um, wide receivers and whatnot, his ability to find defensive backs as undrafted free agents, Malcolm Butler, J.C. Jackson, it's incredible. You got to give Bill that. And I can't believe that J.C. Jackson didn't make the Pro Bowl. Don't care that Tom Brady didn't make the Pro Bowl, by the way. Tom Brady doesn't give a shit. I don't give a shit. We're fine with that. Another Patriots note. Should the Patriots bring back Cam Newton? For the most part, I think a lot of people are saying no. A lot of people want to see what Stidham can do. Stidham can do nothing. So stop talking about Jared Stidham. Sick of hearing about this guy. And obviously Cam Newton is not the answer for the next 10 years. So the question is, does he make sense as a bridge quarterback next season? Well, my number one conspiracy theory, or fun theory at least, had been that the Patriots were going to take Sam Darnold because the Jets were going to draft Trevor Lawrence and the Patriots will get Darnold. Well, that's gone now. But... There's going to be so much free agency quarterback movement. Derek Carr might be a free agent. Jimmy Garoppolo could be a free agent. So many guys are going to be available. I think that Cam Newton's time is done. It seemed possible that he could be a bridge quarterback to the future next season. But at this point, given everything that has occurred, just seems time to move on. 
And I love and respect Cam Newton, so this is no disrespect to him. And this is not intended to... I'm not trying to demean Cam Newton at all. But I do think... I mean, the Patriots need to overhaul, truthfully. There are so many positions that need to be changed. And I'm just not sure how that works with, you know, a guy in his 30s. The Patriots are a couple years away. And maybe there's a team out there for Cam. He hasn't had the greatest season. But I think it's time to look elsewhere. And then the last thing I want to say. I've been wanting to get this out there, so I'm going to go ahead and go into it. We've talked NBA. We've talked NFL. And now we're going to talk a movie real quick. I see some people talking about Tenet. I see some people trashing the movie Tenet. You're wrong. Tenet is phenomenal. Chris Nolan is incredible. Another thing I see people saying wrong about Tenet is that it's related to or somehow a sequel to Inception. Incorrect. Wrong, 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 wrong. Tenet is a prequel to the movie Interstellar. If you don't want to know anymore, spoilers. Maybe I've said too much. Whatever. Here's what I believe. In the movie Interstellar, we see that all the crops are dying because of the blight, which is essentially a crop disease which is destroying everything. It's destroyed everything on the planet essentially. All that's left is corn and now the corn is dying. And so, we have to venture off planet and find a new place to live and luckily, a future civilization has left a wormhole available to us so that we can find a new place to live. In the film Tenet, a future civilization is using radiation to reverse the future of essentially what happens, reverse the whole future into the past, and they're using this radiation to turn bullets, bombs, and other weapons and send them essentially backwards through time. In the future civilization, the oceans are destroyed, the food is gone, water is gone, all of these things. Much like in Interstellar. These two movies weave together. The first plot of Tenet happened first. They exist through the timeline of Tenet. They successfully prevent the future civilization from destroying the past. But Earth is then destroyed by the radiation. And they have to look off-world to a wormhole put there by the Tenet group. And if you've seen both these movies, you'll understand what I'm saying. Has Chris Nolan confirmed this? No. But I still know that I'm right. Because I believe it. And also because it makes so much more sense than anything related to Inception. So, there you go. And that's the Blunt Doctor show. From the 22nd to the 23rd, NBA debut. 
quick NFL notes. Tenant discussion. Not even discussion, just lecture. Proof positive that I can cover so many subjects that I can bore any number of people. Like, subscribe, rate, comment, tell your friends, and also come on the podcast. Send me a DM and say, hey, I want to be on the show. Because I love you. Forever.